You're listening to Rosie on the House. Arizona homeowners, it is 8 o'clock hour. That is our outdoor living hour. We join this third Saturday of the month with Jay Harper. If you'd like to join the broadcast or have questions about your landscape, garden, yard, trees, whatever the case may be, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Julia Bradshaw is standing there waiting to take your call or... Uh, call screener this Saturday morning from the Walter Cronkite School of Broadcasting. Gary D is behind the glass, and Jay, what a nice morning! You know, this. I was telling somebody the other day, this might be the nicest fall we've had, and since I can remember, maybe. I needed a long sleeve trick or treating. I don't. I couldn't tell you the last time I needed a long sleeve on. Uh, on Halloween. It's been, been a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. And just, you know, crisp mornings, warm, you know, 70 degrees, 75 degree days. <clears throat> Pretty hard to complain. Pretty hard to complain in perfect growing weather. <clears throat> For just about anything you want to do, plant otherwise, you know, still in the middle of winter vegetable gardening, you can still plant your leafy greens, your root crops, you know, without any issues at all. Uh, it's a great time to plant landscape trees and shrubs. We want to probably start being careful with the more frost-sensitive things this time of year, hibiscus and and those types, the real tropical-y things, uh, getting them in this late, you know, and then if we catch some cold weather and they're not established, they might not be too happy about that. But other than that, you know, trees, shrubs, vines in the landscape, this is the absolute best time to plant those. Um, and, of course, all the all the wonderful cool season, colorful bedding, annuals, perennials, geraniums, pansies, petunias, snapdragons. The list is, you know, almost endless as to what you can plant in your pots, your containers, your flower beds, uh, especially as we start preparing for maybe those holiday and winter seasonal guests that might be showing up you want to make a little impact um you know a little curb appeal uh just a little set your house off just a little bit over your neighbors you know you can really do a lot with just a you know a touch of color makes a huge difference and you had gone through a couple of those different flower varieties what what's your cold weather flowers well if we start you know alyssum and um, lobelia and petunias and pansies and snapdragons and geraniums and uh, the you know bacopa and uh, yeah it just goes on and on and on really people that think about living in the midwest would be everything you plant in the spring in the midwest we plant in the fall and winter here but uh, so it's just a very very long list they're all going to color all nicely until it gets hot next spring or summer, and uh, you, you just can make a huge difference with the look of your house, your property, um, your entranceway, even if it's just a just one single container or big pot of color as people walk up to the front door. It makes a big difference. You know, that's something that I had gotten in the habit of every fall and every spring, just stopping at the nursery on the way home, getting... Uh, just a random collection for mama's 
front entryway. Amanda's got a nice little setup there with an old uh, old bench that all these pots are around. And there you go. I don't know what happened. Uh, I, I missed last spring, and I tell you what, going through that whole summer without coming home to our little front entryway, it, it it's worth the 120 bucks twice a year to have a nice. Isn't it amazing what it does to your <laughs> psyche, to your, uh, you know, it's just something you walk up and kind of all the, all the day goes away. And, um, you know, my dad used to say, you know, if I think I'm having a day, bad day, I go out and look at that pansy and look at that smiley face of that pansy out there and just kind of makes everything disappear. That and, and, and you know, something to take into account we didn't even talk about is are, are the aromas, you know, sweet, the smell of sweet alyssum, the fragrance of pansies, the stock, um, the, the, the for odor of that. Um, you know, you can you can do a lot with that right by your front door, too, and that's kind of neat to walk up. I've got a, you know, big planting of a Arabian jasmine that in the spring, summer, and early fall— this, the whole little courtyard as you walk into it is just, you just get engulfed uh, by that really sweet fragrance. So color and fragrance as you as you come into your house is uh, can be a pretty neat deal, like you mentioned. It just changes your whole attitude. And sometimes as we come home from work, our attitude needs changed a little bit before we walk in the door. And it might not be work. It might be the commute home. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We have... We read somewhere where rosemary, the scent of rosemary, helps deter flies. So on each side of our front entry door, because yeah. uh, we have a lot of horses on the property, chickens, animals outside, you know, there's, there's flies. Uh, and that seems to help a little bit. You still have to close the door, and our kids are learning that, that you know, <laughs> a, a door left wide open for 20 minutes while we're outside riding. There's, there's no amount of rosemary. But no. I tell you what, you, you water those, and you're sitting on the porch, and that aroma lingers for a good 20 minutes. Absolutely, yeah. Got, or just go and pinch a little bit of it and rub it around, you know, and it's uh, it's kind of a neat deal. And it's uh, also a, a natural deterrent of mosquitoes as well. And and I've heard lots of complaints about mosquitoes, especially all that after all that rain we got in October. Um, <clears throat> I think they were already around pretty good, but then when you get a, a heavy dose of rain and it sticks around and things stay wet, as it cooled off, mosquitoes seem to be in abundance this fall as well. So rosemary, basil, lavender, those are all good plants to have, you know, in your patio or sitting areas as well. And you're talking mosquitoes, and we started the segment talking about just how nice of a fall it is, and it's a little bit cooler. Maybe we'll finally get a good freeze. It's been a number of years. We're, we're due. Amarillo uh, has snow already. Texas Panhandle, you know, maybe that's a sign that that we're going to get a, a frost down this far into. Yeah, had a pretty couple of snows earlier in the Flagstaff area as well, so it's, uh, yeah, it's supposed to be an El Nino winter, which doesn't necessarily mean really cold, but it means it's going to be pretty wet. So, you know, wetter is going to be cooler than it was when last year when it seemed like it was just spring year round. But, <laughs> but yeah, we could use a, probably a freeze or two to. To set Get the, a little bit of insect the insect population control, controlled a little bit. Equalize that population. One trip late seven six seven four three four eight. Sorry about that. A little choked on my coffee there. If you'd like <laughs> to join the conversation, Julia does have a couple calls. She's working her way through. Email to four one one nine two three. If you need to snap a picture and send a shot of an insect, or maybe you see 
something out in the landscape and you'd like to figure out what it is, you know, as you're traveling around. Uh, sweet potato vines. That took me a while to figure out what that one was. Man, those that really got popular quick. They, they have. And uh, our, I think ours is two years old now. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. You know, a good cold snap will probably force people to get rid of some sweet potato vines because it <laughs> might freeze back. It, 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 it's you know intended to freeze back, but it has didn't last year for sure. But it's kind of revolutionized the the planting of summer containers and summer flower beds and hanging baskets, things that we couldn't keep looking very good without really being diligent about watering. Um, the sweet potato vine has at least given us some spot of color for the hot months. And if it stays mild through the winter, it'll stay looking good year-round. Typically, in a typical winter, it'll get cold enough to, to zing it back, and you'll have to either cut it back or replace it. And if we do get that cold snap, some of the other things we need to watch for, citrus, uh, our, our frost-sensitive items. Citrus fruits particularly, not so much the plant, but but the fruit, if it if we get a hard freeze, the frost isn't going to hurt them. Um, bougainvillea, lantana, those are the things probably that you see the most of in our landscapes everywhere. They can be tender. Again, typically won't kill them, but... Actually, a lot of times it does like it. It forces people to go out and do a heavy spring pruning as opposed to, as I pulled in the parking lot up here, the little shear job that has just been done again on all the plantings, you know, in the landscape in this building. Um, you know, if people would just wait till, oh, mid to late February or early March and be very severe with their pruning, then you really don't have to prune again the rest of the year the plant will flush out it will look good it'll bloom imagine that you know texas sage with blooms on them rather than these little balls with you know just a little bit of color at the ends of the branches and that color comes out just about the time that the maintenance crew that comes back around again. and chops it all yeah, off there's like there's some unwritten code that says those plants can only be a certain size and shape <laughs> um but uh the freeze sometimes will help actually uh, dictate and make us do that heavy spring rejuvenative pruning uh, as opposed to just shearing all the time. But uh, lantanas, bougainvilleas, hibiscus, uh, natal plum, there's a number of things. Of course, the big one, if people remember, if it, when it gets severely cold and we have a hard freeze, are probably the ficus trees because they're a tree. They're not, you know, a small shrub you can deal with, you can prune back, you can replace if you have to. But if you lose a 25 or 30 foot tree, or lose most of it, you know, that can be pretty devastating to the to the landscape. When we get back, we'll talk about winter lawns a little bit. We've got that transition period, and we're also going into our holiday plants. We're talking Christmas cactuses, poinsettias, a little Christmas tree care and selection here at Rosie on the House with you every Saturday morning, one 767 if you'd like to join the conversation. Have poinsettias hit yet? I have not seen any, but, uh, it, you know, the thing that we've got going on, Thanksgiving is the earliest it can be on the calendar this year. So it's the fourth Thursday of November. 
So we're coming up. So we're already thinking of Christmas, but it's the 17th of November today. <laughs> Thanksgiving's, though, at the 22nd um, or 20, 22nd, 23rd. So when when the 1st of November is on a Thursday, that means Thanksgiving is the earliest it can be in the year. So it, it may be Just next, weekend, next okay. weekend before you start seeing poinsettias show up. And there's all kinds. They used to be red. They've got them. But any color you want anymore. There's purple ones and blue ones, and they're even they're even airbrushing and painting and glittering them. Uh, you know, so they're they can do about anything you want with the poinsettia. It's a pretty miraculous plant um, when you think about it. Um, the thing about them is they are tropical, so treat them as such. You, you know, you can stick them outside, but if it gets cold, you need to bring them in or protect them. Um, don't put them by the hot, roaring fireplace. Uh, if they dry out too much, you'll start losing leaves. If it's too dark a room, they like bright light, um, they'll start losing leaves. So keep them moist, keep them warm, keep them in a bright place. And watch out. You had mentioned fireplaces, but watch out for your heater vents, whether they're overhead, blowing down. Or, or by, the, the by the door that's opening and letting cold air in and out. And, and, and you know, you don't want to beat them up either by in a high-traffic place. They do... What, what's colored up on those is the leaf, not the, it's not the flower. It's not a flower. Um, so if you damage those leaves, you're going to keep losing the color that you, that you have for the plant. So the other thing people make, they, they come in a foil container or, you know, wrapping, and those don't drain. So when you water them, you need to take it out of that or dump that out after you're done watering. Don't let them sit in that, you know, foil wrapper full of water. Uh, after you've watered them as well so it's got to be able to drain exactly you know what i really enjoyed are the christmas succulents the cactuses that uh when we have family coming from louisiana they never even heard or seen of a christmas cactus right so it's a, it's a succulent not truly a cactus they flower you know and and uh i know people that have had them from gen handed down from multiple generations they have some you know a plant that's 40 50 60 years old they're incredibly tough, incredibly hardy. Um, they don't need a lot of water. They are succulent. You, they don't do all that well outside here unless you've got kind of a shady, protected spot. But a kitchen window or someplace like that, uh, they're, they're fantastic. They really are, and they're very colorful. And it's, that's, that might, in fact, be as good or better gift for like an office or something like that where a poinsettia, you know, you could take a Christmas cactus, stick it on an office desk for a month, during the holidays, it's it's going to be fine, you know. In a in a closed dark office, poinsettia might not hold up as well. Renee from Chandler's texted in and wants to know a good recommendation for a vine that'll grow on a brick wall, and and depending on which direction that brick wall is headed. Let's just assume that it basic. gets lots of sun. Let's just assume that. If that's the case, my my favorite is still the Tangerine Beauty cross vine. Gets a Tangerine colored flowers, the name would it would uh, kind of suggest, uh, will bloom a little bit in the fall. Gets a nice little bloom, a flush in the spring and early summer. Heavy bloomer, fast grower, attaches by itself, clings onto stucco or brick or block or wood, just fine. You don't have to attach it or have a trellis type of a thing. That would be not my number one choice. Um, pink trumpet vines, very nice. 
Uh, Cat Claw is an old standby. Bogan Via, if you got plenty of room, works very well. There's a there's a bunch of good choices, but uh, that's... and you want to plant it a little way from the block wall. You don't want to be putting the water right on top of the foundation. If it's a block house wall, you know, if it's a fence, might not be quite as critical, right? But ideally, on the on the home, you know, you can. Typically, you can't plant them that close anyway because, you know, the way they pour footers, <laughs> there's probably concrete slopped out there a foot or so. So, you know, get it out there. And you can angle the, you know, the, the plant back so that it, you know, it'll kind of make contact with the house. And eventually it'll grab on and, and get going. Or you can put a really nice trellis up and let that start it. Thank you for the text. That's 411-923. And that's the only one that's during the broadcast only. That is... Uh, the rest of the week, we do answer the one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight, as well as info at rosieonthehouse.com. Uh, not everything's tied to Saturday mornings. Sometimes, uh, very you work more than one day a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always joke about that when somebody asks, "What do you do the rest?" Oh, we're like pastors; we only work one day a week. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that'll get you in trouble. <laughs> oh, they the pastors think it's hilarious. Yeah. What else do we have? We had mentioned winter lawns. So your winter lawn, hopefully you've mowed it a time or two by now. It's, you know, it's up and established and been mowed. If you have, then you should fertilize it good before it gets cold. Because what happens even with ryegrass in the winter, if we get a frost, um, they'll start yellowing out. They don't like to be frozen either. Um, so if, you, if you've got it good and green and growing and healthy, uh, then if we get a little frost, it won't yellow out so bad. Once they yellow out, if that does that because of frost, it's really hard to get them greened back up till it warms warms up again. So I suggest after the second mowing, you get a good fertilizer on there. Um, and really, you, you probably want to keep them fed good through the winter months, just like you would your, your Bermuda lawn, you know, monthly or so. Uh, a, a good lawn-type food, uh, you know, we make a good organic pellet for lawns. It's great. Um, and just keep them going. Keep them. Don't let them get too long between mowings. Keep them mowed good. If you haven't mowed it yet, pray it doesn't get cold too quick. <laughs> <laughs> it always impresses me how fast the rye recovers. When you have guests over and you're walking on and it looks trampled and you're like, my lawn. The next day it's like all stood back up. It is an early Thanksgiving. I keep getting thrown off thinking that, all right, after next week, December is going to be here. But we still have a whole other week of November. And on a business and radio where everything's built off of your week to week to week to week to week around the broadcast, it throws me off. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Have you got your turkey brine in yet? Are you kidding me? I, no. I I I'm stopping on the way home to get everything loaded up because I was like, holy cow, we're that's next Thursday. Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's here, and uh, you know, it's uh, it, it just seems like it snuck up on us overnight. It's already Thanksgiving, but Halloween just seemed like it, you know, like last weekend. So it's. Crazy days, but uh, time time flies. And then you know, then we do have a little longer then between Thanksgiving and Christmas, 
to to maybe enjoy the Christmas holiday a little more if we just kind of slow down and and uh, gather that in. Maybe it won't be quite so crazy. And I don't know how many are left, but the Coconino Forest is selling 111 permits, about 15 bucks each. And if you want to go cut your own Christmas tree, oh, nice. they're issuing, uh, they've got pine, pinion, fir, and they've got it broken up into different sections. In each section, they have a certain amount of Have you ever done that? Permits. I have. We've yeah, cut it, it a couple fun. times out of the White Mountains. Okay. Um, I've never done one up out of, this one's out of Coconino Forest, this press release I have. Talking about it, uh, everything has come from the White Mountains. But that is a lot of fun. You just, <laughs> you have to measure your home. Take, take, take a <laughs> tape measure with you. You've, I'm sure, done the same thing I've done. Ten you, feet does not look very tall You go out and you cut a tree in the forest, in the forest <laughs> and you bring it back and you look and you go, oh, my word, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> what does this sound like? National Lampoon vacation, yeah, oh, uh, Christmas sure. vacation. Yeah, it's kind of that way. Yeah, we can cram it in there. So you end up having to cut the bottom off of it, and then of course where you make the new cut, there's holes. So you're drilling holes and sticking branches in. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but uh, they just yeah. When you're out in the forest and there's sixty, seventy, eighty foot trees, and you know that tree that looks like it would fit in your house is still 15 feet tall <laughs> it looks bitty out there but it's not it's not of course the one you pick six miles from the car and you got to drag it back to the car and <laughs> yeah, well because all the good ones you can see from your car have already been cut <laughs> jay when it comes to a christmas tree uh let's say you cut one down at the forest um mm-hmm. when you bring it home is it still okay to? Th- uh, I've heard people throw it in the swimming pool for about a day and let it soak up really good and wet, and then let it dry out and put it in the house. Well, you know the the, the cool thing about cutting your own is you don't have to worry about that. It is so fresh. Okay. It'll never dry out. You know, in in that short of time, the ones you buy at the tree lot have been cut. You know, days or weeks ahead of time. Uh, by the time you get it, but that's that is the one advantage of cutting your own is. They stay fresh for a long time. You know, I would, I wouldn't advise cutting it and waiting two weeks to put it up. But you know, if you cut it and come back and put it up even the next weekend, just keep it in the shade, keep it cool, maybe keep it covered. If you want to throw it in the pool, that that's fine. I wouldn't do it for a week. The chlorine does kind of funny things to green foliage on. Well, things. and the pool guys really hate all those little uh, pine needles idea. that end up in the bottom of their pool and yeah. in their filter system. It's just as good to put it in a bucket and leave it in the shade, let it soak up water. Of course, if you're going to chop it, you want to check that tree for bird's nest and maybe some other things too as well. So, mm. Right? Just in yeah. case you put it up, all of a sudden there's Get an a angry o- angry owl in your... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Extra guests in for your dinner. <laughs> the only time I've seen porcupines in Arizona was in a tree. Oh, yeah? Climbing up Right on Middle Mountain, just outside Alpine. Uh-huh. Two, two porcupines. I kept hearing the strange noise. What is that? I, had to, I just went to investigate them. Porcupines overhead. And you definitely don't want to have one of those in your house. No, 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 or fall on you. Or that. Yeah, exactly. Going into Christmas season, we, uh, you had mentioned it's still good enough time to plant a lot of things. Our germination time takes a little bit longer. Our winter grasses, if you can still find seed, you can mm-hmm. still apply. Just the germination rate slows down with the cooler nights. Yeah, a little bit. had an interesting call from a guy um, this last week. He had... Oh, he'd planted his winter lawn and then left, and it didn't, you know, 
that's never a good idea. Don't don't plant your winter lawn and then go go away for a week or two. It needs lots of water to get established. But anyway, he didn't do that. Now he's he's late. He's behind the eight ball. One thing that will help speed it up is you notice a lot of people anymore don't cover. You know, back in back in the day, you you put your seed down, you put manure on top of it or something, and you know it, everybody did that. Not so many people do that anymore. But that is a great technique. Once it gets later, that will that dark material will all will retain heat. It'll keep the soil warmer, uh, and it'll speed up your germination. So if you're late and behind the eight ball on putting your lawn in, I would definitely consider covering it with compost or manure or something like that to, to get it to germinate more and most, evenly and quicker. Most nurseries that would sell seeds sell topsoil material Some type material of topping like material uh, like that as well, absolutely. So that that's also a good technique. You can really sow... Uh, ryegrass all winter long. It, it it has to get very 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 cold before it won't germinate. Uh, it just it's slower. It takes longer to do. You just have to make sure. You also keep... takes less water. I mean, when it's ninety five degrees out, you're having to water three four five times a day. Right now, probably once a day will keep it keep it wet enough to germinate. So. And that's just during the germination period. The, if that seed dries out, we lose it, so we've got to keep it right. wet until it sprouts. Correct. Once it sprouts, you can really cut back. Especially after the first mowing. I generally like to, to let it water good until that first mowing. And once you've mowed it, you can you can go, you know, get your fertilizer on there and then go to, you know, every other day or whatever your typical watering pattern schedule is. But, but please do that. Don't keep it watering. And then once we get into, if we do have an El Nino, there's been winters where I literally have not watered anything in my landscape all winter. We're going into the time of year now where we can really cut back on our water. It's, it's easy to say and hard to do in the summertime. <laughs> you know, it really is hard to cut back on water and still have things look good. But right now, this is when people way, 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 way overwater. I have I still have only watered my trees and shrubs and vines since all that rain in October. I've watered one time since then on trees and shrubs. I've watered my lawn to get it to germinate. But on established landscape plants, one watering since in the last six weeks. Yeah, there was almost as much annual rain we received in October. Oh yeah, I got seven inches at my house. <laughs> so which is the state you know, average. Which is the well the phoenix average um but uh yeah so there are winners literally turn the turn that sucker off you know and um, pick a plant in your landscape in my case it's pretty easy it's cape honeysuckle when the cape honeysuckle looks like it's wilting a little bit then i water everything else because it's the one that's going to damage the quickest or look bad or be affected you know some other things are going to get watered maybe before they need it but you know you kind of pick one indicator plant uh, and do that through the winter time. I don't even schedule a daily wa- a day that my landscape plants water. The lawn waters on a schedule, but the station that my uh, program that my landscape trees and shrubs are on is not scheduled to water. I do it manually because it's like I said, I've watered once in the last six weeks, so you don't need to have it running once a week. And I've been doing most of my trees manually. I've got a twelve station irrigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 
only the first six work. I've, I've tried replacing the modules on oh my. six on on seven through twelve. I've tried replacing the valves. It it really just comes down to th this circuit, mm -hmm. uh, the control panel, uh, is now seventeen years old. You know, I, my truck's not even that old. My truck's ten years old. Uh, it's outside. It's an electronic device. It's it's, it's cooked. Yeah. <laughs> But I have to manually turn on the trees, and it's all, all on drip still. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll I'll leave, and th that the drip's the only reason I'm getting away with it. Because if it was on bubblers, I couldn't leave it until I got right. home that night. But on the drip, I'll leave the pecans. I'll turn them on in the morning, turn them off when I get home, and with that and the rain, and my pecan trees seem like they are. They've put on new new shoots going into their de wow. <laughs> their deciduous season. Well, it's you know that's forces you to run drip the way you should run it ten, twelve, fourteen hours, even even a couple of days straight. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anything on drip, so that's that's good. I can one up you on the irrigation controller. I had uh, my brother Jerry, who's still in the landscape sprinkler repair business, come over because I had a, an issue with my. It was, of course, as soon as I got my lawn in in the back, my heads weren't popping up right. So I called him, and he came over, and he called me up. He goes, hey, I, uh, I'm not sure I remember how to work this old Eritrol clock. I have a 34-year-old Eritrol control sprinkler. It's the original controller that I put in when the house was new. <laughs> you got your money's worth. Uh, yeah, and I'm not changing it till it does. I know how to work it. So... <laughs> I'm not changing it. It is certainly not as flexible or as nice as the new ones, but it works great. And what uh, – it's an Eritrol. What are some other brands that you guys see frequently? Hunter's uh, a big Hunter, one. Hunter's kind of the – is kind of the big one. I think they bought Eritrol, if I'm not mistaken. I think Raindial. Maybe they bought Raindial. Hunter, Raindial, Eritrol, Toro. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of them out there. But the Hunter's – pretty good stuff i think and you brought up a good point when you're mounting your irrigation controller you know try to put it and the reason mine has probably lasted is it's in a very shady protected spot it never gets any direct sun and at the time it was it. built it probably didn't have a lot of the electronics that the newer ones have in no today. it does not even near as sophisticated as that no so there's you don't have those circuits to fry out there and the not, little digital screen starts to bleed out yeah, it, do, it doesn't have much of a screen just a little digital display mm -hmm. for time and that sort of thing but so it's a lot simpler but it's also in a very particular doesn't ever get any direct sun beating on it well, let's see how we can help jack this saturday morning here at rosie on the house calling from uh well somewhere it has citrus welcome to the program sir hello yes sir i have three citrus trees and uh, i've had uh, great luck in the past i have a lemon and a grapefruit and an orange. And this year, I don't see any or very little fruit coming. What did I do wrong, or what's happening to the trees? Well, your your fruit should be very visible right now because it should be starting to color up. It should, should The fruit should be basically full-sized at this point and starting to color. Um, color is a function of cooler weather. It doesn't necessarily mean it's ripe or not. Um, in places in the tropics, citrus fruit never does get very completely colored because it's not cold enough. But um, it's hard to say what you did wrong. You did something wrong a long time ago, though, because, you know, the fruit, the trees bloom in the spring. They set their fruit. The fruit goes all summer. 
and into the early fall, and now they're starting to ripen depending on variety. Um, so it's it's difficult for me to say what might have happened. Um, I assume the trees other than that are healthy looking. Uh, if they are, just continue to fertilize. Don't prune. A lot of times people prune too heavy. Citrus are a shrub. They should be treated like a shrub. They should just be shaped once in a while. They don't need heavy pruning. They prefer not to be pruned heavily. Um, and sure they produce fruit on the old growth. That's true. And so, you know, if you're constantly pruning, you're never going to, you know, you want to, you're not going to have a old growth because you're cutting off all the new growth. So you want to, if you're going to prune citrus, you want to wait till after they've blossomed to prune them much. So late spring or early summer. Then you can also see where the new fruit is and you can be careful where you prune. Inch by inch. You know, for Jack, our last caller, too, on citrus, we had one that some insect of our seven citrus trees just attacked one. We had all these great little uh, citrus buds, and we were excited because this one tree hasn't produced good for us. And we thought, finally, it's caught up from the last time it froze. It's reestablished. And, I mean, like in a two-week period of time, all the little fruit buds were gone, and there was like this web cast over wow. the entire yeah. citrus and you know we it may it may have been an insect problem back to our cold snap and a freeze could help that certainly the other thing that citrus will do if he if he and we didn't get a chance to do that if if he had heavy crops last year they will sometimes produce in alternate years they'll get into this cycle of a heavy crop a lighter no crop a heavy crop a lighter no crop um, so once they get in that cycle it's kind of hard to break it Dan wants to talk about figs. Eric has a question on a jacaranda tree. Michael wants to kill roots, but Joe was on first. So we'll start with Joe on killing Bermuda grass. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rosie. Nice to talk to you. Uh, Yeah, this area is in the front of my house uh, along the driveway. Uh, It's about four square feet, four square yards maybe. And uh, at one time I had some poppies there, but uh, some wild grasses have sort of taken over there. And I wanted to... uh, replant something nicer in the spring, but I wanted to kill this uh, wild grasses and Bermuda grass there. And I wanted to know if there would be any residual effect uh, to prevent me from putting something in in the spring. Well, it depends on what you use to kill it. So um, the thing that concerns me now is those grasses start to go dormant and slow down in growth. They're they're pretty hard to kill. They've, most of our herbicides have to be applied when uh, grass is actively growing. Uh, the most common, um, you know, most popular one is glyphosate, um, known as Roundup in most cases. Um, and it can be applied in, uh, you know, ornamental landscape situations with no problem. It won't affect the soil for replanting things like trees, shrubs, flowers, that type of thing. But you got to do it while it's still warm and the grass is green and actively growing for it to be effective. So in his best case scenario right now, we're going into a season that's not growing and he wants to plant in the spring. You almost, you're, you're digging at that point. Well, and, and if it is Bermuda grass, you're probably never going to dig out all the roots. <laughs> um, that That's the problem. And people try and do that and it keeps coming back. Um, you know, and, and as long as you're willing to, I guess, battle that and do it, that's an acceptable way to do it. You can solarize, you can put some clear plastic over it, let the sun bake that soil, that'll kill some of it. 
Again, it probably won't kill Bermuda grass roots completely. Um, but uh, if you can get it down to a, you know, to a minimum and then, you know, control it in a very spot situation, that's, that's okay. Just, it depends on your um, participation level. How much of a, how much gardening do you want to do in that area? So it may just be best go ahead and wait till the next summer. Water well, unless well, it's green. If it's growing. still green, you still got a little window, but it's that window is closing rapidly. <laughs> Good luck, Joe. Let us know how uh, that fares off. Let's see how we can help Eric this Saturday morning. Hi. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've got a question. Uh, I got a decorandity for my wife uh, for Mother's Day. Uh, and I'm trying to kind of see it. I saw it grow a little bit, but, uh, it's getting a whole bunch of shoots at the bottom. And I was wondering if I needed to cut those so it grows a little bit faster. Well, actually, believe it or not, leaving those shoots on and the more foliage and the more growth we have on a plant, the more, you know, food per se, if you want to call it that, it's manufacturing for itself, the, the faster it's going to grow. So as an early or young tree, I would leave everything on for the first year or two. Then as it starts to grow at the top and produce branches and canopy and new growth, then you could go in and start eliminating those shoots that are coming along the trunk down lower than you would like. But initially, I would leave them on. Let's see if we can fit Dan in before we close out at top of the hour. I'm sorry, Michael. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. Hey, so I had a sisu tree in my backyard, probably 25, 30 feet tall. Had it removed. I've got about three to four inches of stump sticking out of the ground. And I've drilled holes in it, and I bought some stuff that's supposed to be a root killer, but I still get all these little sprouts all over the yard because the tree is so evasive. What is the best thing to put on that stump to fill kill the, the remaining root system, and when would be the best time to get an excavator in there to completely remove that stump? Well, sissus are, are, a, are a real conundrum when you cut them down. My advice is if you have one, don't cut it down. That's when the problems happen. Because <laughs> that's generally when we start seeing the problems is when you try and cut it down. Uh, make a fresh cut, re, recut that stump, even if it's just an inch or two, and and apply undiluted glyphosate, undiluted full-strength commercial-strength Roundup to the freshly cut stump and to those little shoots. Just get them a sponge and wipe it on them. As soon as you see them, give them a wipe with full strength, and it'll just take some time. And then you had mentioned if getting an excavator in there, if you're truly going to excavate, I mean, there's no time-wise. It's just whenever you yeah, can schedule. exactly. Dan, hang on. We'll take your call top uh, on your fig trees. It's Rosie on the house with you every Saturday morning.